0: Good morning. We've been talking for a long time about in the book of Acts about you will be. Last week, I got to start Acts chapter 10, where we said you will be, and our statement was on mission. And so last week, we were introduced to someone named Cornelius and Peter. So, what I want to talk to you about this morning is the church being on mission. And and if you will, as you turn there, you will help me in recognizing that if you are going on vacation, You need to have a mission plan. Amen? Especially if you have children under the age of second grade. You absolutely, someone told me one time, if your kids are second grade and under, you're going on vacation. I believe it's analogous to Navy SEAL training. Okay? Here's what we need to do right now. we, We need to understand that when you go on vacation, you need to have a mission plan. And so two weeks ago, my family, by the grace of my father-in-law, said, we're all going to New York City, we're going to see two Yankee games, I'm a Red Sox fan, and the Red Sox won, by the way, I'm just saying, I was there for that game. Now, we went up to New York City with my father-in-law, who, is, who has a brain tumor right now, and God has him still here, and we're grateful for that. And so we're going to New York City and I uh, there's seven in my family, my, uh, my family of six and my father-in-law and there's seven of us that are going to Raleigh-Durham Airport then we fly into LaGuardia and then we get from LaGuardia and then we get an Uber ride. I've never done an Uber ride before in my life. And we go from an Uber ride then we go to our hotel in Times Square and we meet up with my brother-in-law who's coming from Charlotte, his five. There's 12 of us. And so part of the mission plan for going on this vacation was, please don't let us leave someone in the subway. Okay. <laughs> Please don't let us leave someone in the terminal or the airport or whatever. Again, there's 12 people in this party. And so we set out to go to our trip. This is on a Thursday before Mother's Day. We leave early in the morning to get to the airport. And I'm like, guys, we're not checking any bags. We, we got, you can carry your backpack. you got your rolling bag. We don't travel often and a lot. So I'm telling everybody, hey, guys, you got to keep up with your stuff. Okay, it's your stuff. You got to keep up with it. We get into the airport, our gate to leave from Raleigh to LaGuardia and we're sitting there and we're waiting. We finally get called. We walk down this little runway runway thing to get on the plane and the lady says, this is a smaller plane. We're going to valet check your bags. You travel people know what I'm talking about. There is no room to take your bag and put it overhead. You got to valet check it. So we're valet checking our bags, all seven of us. Luke yells out, My backpack. He left it in the airport. He goes, I'm like, son, it's okay. No, that's not what I did. Okay? I'm just telling you right now, I am confessing before you as one of your pastors. That is not what I did. Luke, come on, man. We keep up with your stuff. Go back and get it. He runs back in there. He gets his backpack. Man, I'm like, son, listen, you're 12 years old. You got to keep up with your stuff. You understand me? You gotta keep up with yourself. Come on, get on the plane. We get to New York City. We get our, we'll finally get on the plane, get off the plane, go down to baggage claim to get my father in law's bag. I've never been on an Uber ride in my life. So I'm sitting in New York City. We call the Uber, the Uber driver comes. Four of the people get in this car and they leave. The other ride comes and it's just on this side, maybe 20 or so feet over this way. We all go over there. We all get into the car where I'm sitting in the front seat. I'm trying to share the gospel with my driver, our vet, or I don't even know what his name was. And and so we're just trying to have some walk 45 minutes until we get to our hotel. We open the trunk and everybody's going, okay, we got to check our bags because our hotel's not ready. Guess what? Matt's bag is in the airport, because Matt didn't put his bag in the Uber ride. I looked at Dana and I said, Dana, do you have my bag? She's like, I don't have your bag. I looked at the kids, I was like, do you, do you guys have my bag? Dad, 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 you said get your bag. I got, I got, I got my bag, I got my bag. And I'm like, where's my bag? Some dog at LaGuardia airport is sniffing that for bombs in New York right now. Y'all listen to me. I got the clothes on my back. That's it. I got nothing. And the humble pie that I was eating. Luke was so gracious to me. So gracious. Dad, that really stinks. You lost. I kid you not. He looked at me and said, dad, I'm so, you lost your bag. That's terrible. I'm like, Get to the hotel and had to go down and buy shirts and underwear and all that stuff I mean I had nothing and so here's what I need you to know something about it is incredibly incredibly important that the church of the living God has a mission that glorifies the God we serve and we might fumble but listen to me we cannot fail we cannot fail The church of Jesus Christ has been given the spirit of the living God to allow us to make much of him, and we cannot fail at our part. God has sovereignly positioned and placed you to be a part of Northwest Community Church. Why? For his glory. This is our part. So what we do here and what we do out there in our communities and our school systems, this is what we do. We are here to do our part. We can't do everything, but we can do our part. And what I want us to look at this morning is I want us to look at the church in Antioch found in Acts chapter 11 and take a look at that church and maybe hopefully that our church would look just like it or at the very least we would learn some lessons from that church. So hopefully we would look like that. We've got to have a mission. We've got to have a mission plan. John Piper said this to the individual regarding the mission of the church. This is John Piper, a pastor in in Minneapolis. He's retired now, but speaks all over the place. This is what he said. The one supreme, all-pervading, all-unifying mission of your life is to joyfully and sacrificially declare and demonstrate that the glory of God is more precious than life, and thus to help all people. Did you hear? That's all people including the ethnic groups and all religions of the world, discover the glory of Christ as their only hope of true and everlasting joy. He goes on to say, your mission is not to stay alive. Your mission is not to tell other religions that all sincere roads lead to heaven. Your mission is to gladly make people glad in God through Christ, even if it costs you your life. And to do it by declaring by your words and demonstrating by your life that the glory of Christ is more precious than life. Kevin DeYoung says this regarding the church. That was to the individual by John Piper regarding the mission of the church. This is what Kevin DeYoung says about the church. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples disciples. By declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship and obey Jesus Christ now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. Amen? That's what we hear is the mission of the local church, and it is something that we cannot fail at. Yes, it is true. We may fumble a little bit. but let us be convinced and let us be committed to something that really matters and let us as individuals and let us as a corporate body do our part because it starts in your driveway and then it goes out from there. But again today, we want to take a look and what's going on and how this early church called, that, that was called Antioch, that met at Antioch. What were some things that we learned from them that might, could be the same about us? To give you sort of a little background information to make sure you know where we are. Chapter 10 and going into 11 starts out with this guy named Cornelius. And he has an angel appear to him and says, go find this guy named Peter. Bring him. He's got something to tell you. And then you go over on this side and you have Peter who has this vision with this sheet coming down and all these animals and he says, rise, kill and eat. Peter's like, no, 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 I'm a good Jew. I don't do that right there. I've never eaten anything like that. I'm not allowed to do that. And basically what we hear is that the gospel is for all nations. The gospel is for all nations. And that's the lesson that we learn. Peter goes back to the church, the apostles. He declares what he he told everybody. He tells them what what he told them. And they looked at him and said, you did what? They didn't receive that well. Then the scene changes, and it moves into the church at Antioch and what took place. Now, we're going to come back to verse 17 of Acts 11 at the end of the message. But before we do that, let's take a look at this church in Antioch and what we can learn. So, let me go ahead and read it, and then hopefully the points will uh, will be obvious to you as we go through it. Verse 19 says this of chapter 11. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. Verse 24 says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tars- Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus, if you're getting ready to have a child, I just want to throw that out to you, okay? Agabus, just throwing that out for you. Yes, that's free today. Stood up... And foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his own ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, listen, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so what I want us to take a look at this morning is I want us to take a look at the five points right now about what I feel like the early, this, this church in Antioch really, really did and were known for that maybe we could be known for as well. So first, first point, point number one is this, the mission of the church is accomplished by those, not heroes, the mission of the church is accomplished by those, not heroes. I'm going, to, I'm going to show you where we got that. First, verse 19 says this. Now, those who were scattered, there's the word those. Notice what it says in that word. It just says those. It doesn't use names. It doesn't use like, oh, this great PhD or this great intellectual or this great engineer or this man who was good. It just says, and those who were scattered. There's no names. Then go down to verse 20, the first part. But there were some of them. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, again, it doesn't give us any names of who was going and spreading the gospel. And what I want you to know something right now, and hopefully that it will free you up, is that God is not interested in you being a hero. He just wants you to be available. He's wanting the church in us, the Northwest Community Church, and saying, hey, you're a gathering of ordinary people really, really armed with the beautiful message of my my son. I love that, and it's really encouraging. It's not our heritage. It's not our intellect or our looks or lack of them. It's not our ability. It is ordinary people, but here, don't miss this part in 21. Look at verse 21. So the church is made up of a bunch of ordinary people, but here, this is critical. This is critical. Verse 21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them is in essence telling them that the Spirit of God was on them. It's another way of saying Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Here we find them in Antioch in a Roman city And they are going to the Gentiles and speaking the message of Jesus. They're ordinary people, but they're not just, they're ordinary people, but they're ordinary people that have said, yes, God, fill me with your spirit. Let me be used by you in a supernatural way. So if you summarize this right here, we look at verse 20, and we'll summarize it here in just a minute. Verse 20, the the latter part of 20, it says, who on coming to Antioch, who they spoke to the Hellenists, They were Greek-speaking Gentiles, okay? Greek-speaking Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. So what's their message, church? The Lord Jesus, that's what they're preaching. So let's put this all together. We have the people of God, ordinary people of God that have been overcome by the Spirit of God, and they have one thing to say, and that is the Word of God. Let us never ever, as a church, get over or past that. There's a lot of things that we do. We have a band, we have great instruments, we have lights. I'm not saying we do away with them. But when we come back and we shrink everything down and we take a look at it, the early church here at Antioch stood up and said, there was a group of individuals who were surrendered their lives, surrendered their lives to the spirit of God and, the, and spoke the word of God. And that's all they had. As we continue to move forward and we build buildings and we do whatever the Lord wants us to do, let us never forget the simplistic issue of this early church, the ordinary, the spirit, and the word. Let's not get past that. Here's what God wants us to do. It says, we, we see that a foundational component of this early church were that these three areas. And, and, and here's what I would involve you. I, I've said this before, I'm gonna say it again. Our lives are like a, a reservoir, if you see. If you've seen a reservoir, a reservoir is for extra water. It fills up and there's always an overflow. And so the reservoir fills up, fills up, fills up, and then it overflows. And here's what God is trying to do in you and through you through his spirit. He is giving you himself. He is speaking to you. He is using the word of God to help shape your heart and our heart as a church. And then all of a sudden we get filled up, we get filled up, and that overflow is for other people. And let us live in such a way collectively that what people get and what people hear is an overflow of spending time with this great king. Let us live in such a way that God gives to us, not in a selfish way, but that's what he wants to do, fill us up and fill us up, and that the overflow, man, we are ministering out of the overflow. Sometimes we're not as effective as we can be and should be because we're not ministering out of the overflow. The cup is not running over. Let us live in that way. But number two, number two, I want you to see this one. Number two is this. The mission of the church must not be afraid of going to tough places. I was overwhelmed in my study this week about this city, Antioch. And so all of a sudden, the church is scattered all over the place. Scattered not randomly, but scattered for a purpose. When we say the word scattered, we oftentimes realize that, oh, it's just random. God in his great Plan and his great mission for the church has us scattered for a purpose. And here's what we find out about Antioch. It's, it's going to be the sending agency for the New Testament church. It is the first church. It is located in, a, in, in the city of Antioch. And so it is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. There's 500,000 people in this place. Uh, Caesar Augustus was the one who beautified the city and made it what it would look like at the time. The city was known to be horribly corrupt. It was the center of worship for several pagan cults that promoted all kinds of immorality and evil. And God in his sovereignty says, that's where I'm gonna set up shop. That's where I'm gonna send up the greatest missionary church that has ever been seen at this time. And so we must not be afraid. My lesson in here today is we must not be afraid. We must not be afraid of going to these tough places. Number three, the suffering we encounter is inevitable, but the mission of the church is unstoppable. The suffering we encounter is inevitable, but the mission of the church is unstoppable. So how in the world did the church start getting scattered and how in the world did all these people start hearing about this? Well, yeah, here's what took place. Verse 19 says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Now if you go back to Acts chapter seven, we know that Stephen was, was killed because he got stoned and he was beaten. And right before, he, right before he died, he looked up and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do he really echoing the words of Jesus. And so let's just take a look at what's going on right now. The church is exploding because of persecution. That can only be a God thing. That can only be a God thing. So, so just take a look at what Satan is doing. Satan, in his, in his heyday, is going, ha, I got your guy. You know that guy, Stephen? You said he was real good. You even made him a deacon in your church. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was telling people about me. Guess what? I took him out. Satan is going, I got him. I, I, I took him out. And then right next to Stephen watching all of this take place is this guy named Saul who we call Paul and he's holding the coats and he's watching all this take place and God in heaven is saying, oh, you don't know what I've got planned. You don't know what I've got planned. And even in the midst of your suffering, which is inevitable, the church and the mission of the church is unstoppable. And we have seen that. Because we love Hunter and we have seen it and we have heard, and we've seen the mission of the church go and for this girl who says, I want to follow Jesus and she goes to her youth pastor over at Cross Point right across the way and says, I want to follow God. There's other people that have done the same thing and I'm I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at you guys in the front and I'm going, yes, the suffering is is inevitable and I am sorry for that and I don't understand that but the mission of the church is not going to be stopped in the midst of great suffering. It is unstoppable because he is unstoppable and if we flip over to Matthew chapter 16, I've used this before. I've told you this before. But Peter is standing there and Jesus looks at him. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, yes, you are right, Simon Bar-Jonah. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if you want to dedicate, if we want to dedicate ourselves to something that really matters then let's be a church that is on mission and in the midst of all this stuff that weighs you down through suffering and through cancer in my own life and through, through, through things that we're going through and through this stuff that our church is happening through the passing of our dear brother Todd. Yes, the suffering happens, but let us never forget that there is a God who is unstoppable and his mission is unstoppable and let's be a part of that. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Number four, the mission of the church is fueled by worshiping the God of grace. The mission of the church is fueled by worshiping the God of grace. This is what it says in verse 23. It says, when he came and saw the grace of God, listen to me, I am hoping that you were living in such a way, that we are living in such a way that we can see this great grace that's available to us. Not just experience it, but fully see it, fully see it. And here he is, this is this guy Barnabas who they bring in because they're trying to figure out how are we going to live out? In verse 23, when he came, he saw the grace of God and this is what he said when he saw it. He was glad. Another way to say that is he worshiped. He worshiped the Lord. He was glad in this grace. But when you break down the original language, it means that he was was worshiping. And then it says, and he exhorted them. And so what happened is he was worshiping Jesus. And then he looked at these early people who had come to faith in Christ and realized that the church is not to be about raising converts, but raise disciples. And what did he tell them? He said, he exhorted them all to do what? Remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. Don't give up, but keep pressing in. It's worth every single thing of it. So there's people in this early church that are fighting for those that are young in their faith and saying, hey, I want you to remain faithful. I want you to remain steadfast. I want you to remain committed to this great mission. It is worth every bit of it. I want you to live it out. Verse 21, it says this, and the hand of the Lord was with them. So God's hand was upon them. I can't argue with, I, I, I do believe that there is worship going on in that text, and a great number of people who believe turn to the Lord. John Piper says this about missions. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tri- a tr- tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It is for all. And that's why we go because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus and we want all the families of the earth included. Seeking the worship of the nations is fueled by the joy of your own worship. You can't commend what you don't cherish. You can't proclaim what you don't prize. Worship is the fuel and the goal of missions. And I would encourage you right now, if you were to ask yourself the question, am I, do I have an attitude, a posture of worshiping Jesus because he's worthy? And really, really, that will birth, what will come out of that will be a dedication of reaching people with the message of Jesus. You might even say it the other way, am I on mission through my church? And if the answer is no, and I would go back and ask the question, how is your worship? I think it is a healthy evaluation for us as a church to evaluate how we are worshiping King Jesus, collectively and personally. I think sometimes we walk in and we go, well, I'm going in for, oh, I missed worship, or I'm coming in for the worship, or the worship was so good, and we refer to that as the music, and we cannot keep the worship of King Jesus in that box. It is not fair. It is not right. The worship of him is a life and a posture that is set before him to worship him in all ways and all things. Out of that flows a commitment and a, and a response to bringing the gospel to the nations through our church and through our neighborhoods, through the world. Number five. The mission of God is defined by sending, not seeding. The mission of God is defined by sending, not seeding. Let me me go through and read verse 29. Uh, Before I do that, I'll set up what's going on. Agabus, remember the the name of your next grandchild or child. um, (laughs) And so Agabus basically comes and says, hey, there's a famine that's coming. And we need to get ready for it. And so he is used in the local church to stir up, how are we going to help these people that need something? And so we're going to send relief. That's what we're going to do. And then let's pick it up in 29. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief. So we stop right there and we look at it, say all the disciples got together and they said, whatever you got, we need you to pay for. We need you to to give, give some money. They gave what they had. They gave sacrificially, what have you, to be able to to use for people that are in need. And so what did they do? They were sending money to take care of a need. We at Northwest do that on a regular basis with our share fund. Last week we had communion. We take up a share fund. Why Why do we do that? We take up the share fund to be able to help people that are in need. We've had uh, droughts in Kenya and we've sent money for famine relief. We have had people in our church that have gone to Houston, taken vacation and helped out with the hurricanes last year. I know myself and Rick Deese a couple of years ago went over to uh, down east to Lorenburg area and helped out uh, cleaning up down there. And, and so we get to send relief. There's financial relief and then we can also go locally. But here's what they also did. They took it to another step. So read the verse again. It says, They send relief to the brothers living in Ju- Ju- Judea. Verse 30 says, And they did so, sending it to the elders. How did they do it? By the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They sent somebody out. Now I'm going into what I would classify as confession time as one of your pastors. <laughs> we have a document that we use every Sunday. And we look at it on Monday, Tuesday, whenever you want to look at it. It's a Google Sheets document. And the document basically is a number of how many people were here on Sunday. Broken down into first service, second service, how many kids were here. And it's a breakdown. The document's over 10 years old, maybe eight. Here's what I do. I look at the document. Before I look at the document, I wonder how many people were here. That's what I ask when I look at it. And I got really convicted of that after looking at this message this week, especially those two verses where it says they sent relief and they sent Barnabas and Paul. The reason I got convicted of it is because I don't want to simply look at you and say, who was here? I want to look at you and say, who are we sending? I wanna look at that document and say, God, in your sovereignty, it's Memorial Day. Yes, the numbers are going to be low numerically, but let me tell you something. You come into this place, and we're not going to, I don't want to count you for how many people were here, but how many people we sent. You're sent out each and every single week with the greatest message in the world. You are Northwest Community Church. You are a representative. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And you are sent with a message. We had a couple in our, my church several years ago at Apex when I was working there. This couple was, man, they were in their early 50s. He was an engineer. Their daughters had graduated. One got married. One, one graduated. Dan and Mary Ellen Johnson, they went on a mission trip to Kiev, Ukraine. Never been there. Heard it's very difficult. They got over there, and the Spirit of God laid upon their heart that you need to move there and Go. He came back, had a meeting with the local seminary, Southeastern Seminary, and said, here's what I want to do with my life, the rest of my life. I want to go on the field to make much of Jesus. I want my church is willing to send me, but I want to be equipped to go. What classes can I take to get there the fastest? They said, you need 30 credit hours to go. We will equip you and we will send you along with your church. And in one year from the date he started, man, that guy was on a plane with he and his wife setting up shop in Kiev, Ukraine for the glory of God. I am not going to discredit God that there could be and has been someone in our congregation, maybe for the first time in a long time, that says, oh my gosh, God, you are overwhelming me with your great grace. I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to go over there. Because what we wanna be is we wanna be a church that is sending, not just basing on the seats. How many were in the seats? It's an old cliche sort of point in terms of church lingo. But we wanna be a church that is sending you out. And so that's why I wanna close with this verse right here. Verse 17 of chapter 11. It's in the form of a question. Here's what it says. This is Peter who has been challenged why he brought the message to the Gentiles. He's like, why would you do that? And then he asks, I believe, a rhetorical question that I think can be used for you and I. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So... When it comes to the mission of this church, are you standing in God's way? I think when we look at the church at Antioch, we should be encouraged that the mission of the church is accomplished by those and not heroes. I think we need to be encouraged that to not be afraid to go to tough places. I think we need to always remember that the suffering is inevitable, that the mission of the church is unstoppable I think we need to be understand that the mission of the church is fueled by a worship of the most high God the God of grace and I think we need to understand that the definition of the mission of the church should be on our sending and not our seating let us be that church and let us not get in God's way that's a rhetorical question God is doing a mighty work in our city and in our church. Let's go. Let's do this like we've never done it before because we are the people of God that have the Spirit of God and we are armed with the Word of God. Let's start and let's start in our driveway. Let's pray. God, I love you and I thank you for who you are. You are so good to us. Help us never to forget how much you love us. Lord, we have been camped out here for a long time on your mission. There are people all across the world that don't know you. There are people that sit next to us at work that that maybe we even carpool with the work or whatever case may be that simply don't know you. God, as a church, may we respond to you. As individuals, may we respond to you. May we never forget that church is a verb, not a noun. Let us never get over that concept. Let us never get over this great grace that is on display every single day and God let us live in such a way that we see this great grace, that we worship you because of that great grace and that because of our worship that we bring this beautiful message to our community. And at the same time, may you use us inside these walls to raise up disciples, not converts who will go and will leave this place and go to far-reached places wherever you lead them. May our yes be on the table. May the check be blank. All for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray.